Sports fans rejoice. You're listening to my team, my voice with MTMV Sports. I don't do the most, but I do a lot. I'ma make a toast, cause we still alive. No big, I feel like Pac. I shoot a shot. I'm coming in hot. Hey, how y'all doing? This is Rick Sincere with MTNV Sports. I am elated. I mean, I'm just like, um, I mean, I'm always super geeked, but I'm geeked today. So we have Ross Jackson on the line with us, man. And Ross Jackson, uh, he is the lead analyst at All Things Considered. I'm also the host of the Locked On Sports Podcast Network. Uh, I mean, well, the Locked On Saints, Locked On Saints. Um, and it, it's, he's cold, man, cold-blooded. Um, podcast I love listening to on a daily basis. Um, it, it's my pleasure to get a chance to speak to him. Ross, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people, Doc. Yo, man. Hey, first of all, Rick, thank you so much for having me on here, man. It's an honor and a pleasure. I appreciate all the kind words. Thank you. Check is in the mail, homie. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, uh, what's up, y'all? This is Ross Jackson. You can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. I'm lead analyst over at AllSaintsConsidered.com, as well as uh, heard every day, Monday through Friday, on the Locked on Saints podcast, giving you everything you need to know about the New Orleans Saints. You can also hear me on the ASC podcast as well, which you can throw a follow on Twitter at All Saints Blog and at the ASC podcast. All Saints all the time over here, homie, but you know we try to stay we try to stay literate on everything going on in the NFL. So go ahead and hit us up over there. And of course, once again, you can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. And again, Rick, big, big time pleasure for me uh being here with you today, homie. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I know um that your main team is the New Orleans Saints, right? But I know just like yeah. every other, you know, fan in the entire, you know, world, I guess, we always look around at the NFL to see kind of how other teams are doing. Based on, you know, you looking at the draft and your estimation, who, which teams do you think performed really well in the draft? Like they kind of walked away with what they need or they walked away with some bona fide studs? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I think that one of the drafts that stands out immediately is just sort of the first upper half of what the Arizona Cardinals were able to do. You've got a changing of the guard there with Cliff Kingsbury coming in as the new coach. He wants to run that air raid offense. And to start off within the first five picks he grabs, or within his first five selections with the team, he grabs Kyler Murray, he gets his quarterback. It's not, and, and let me be, let me say something about that, too. Like, everybody's talking about how, oh, Josh Rosen's a failure and all this other stuff. That's not really what this is. I don't think that the selection of Kyler Murray is at all an evaluation of Josh Rosen. It's simply a new coach coming in with a new system, a new scheme, and a new fit, and he has somebody that he wants to run that, and Kyler Murray was that person. Then he goes out, and in the second round, third his third overall pick in the second round, he grabs Andy Isabella, wide receiver out of UMass, and then the first pick in the fourth round, he grabs Hakeem Butler, so he gives his new quarterback weapons, and then he shores up that defense by getting Byron Murphy to potentially play opposite that cornerback spot opposite uh, Pat Pete and then he grabs Zach Allen one of the uh, better edge rushers in the draft out of Boston College Deontay Thompson safety out of Alabama and then he grabs one more wide receiver with Keyshawn Johnson who is an absolute slot threat out of Fresno State had uh, he's somewhere in the top five when it comes to uh, slot receptions from last season or over his his in this class and then slot yards from this class as well. So they stand out. And in an AFC team that I want to give a little shout out to, uh, it's kind of a tie for me here. And Brandon Olson talked about it. Brandon Olson and I talked about it earlier this week on Locked on Saints. But the Buffalo Bills and the Denver Broncos just went in and did what they need to do. I love what the Buffalo Bills did in terms of shoring up their trenches. They're getting Ed Oliver at the ninth overall pick, defensive tackle out of Houston. That can also play a little bit of linebacker. That can also play a little bit of defensive end. That can rush off the edge. That can play in coverage. Just an incredible 
versatile presence as as well as being a three tech defensive tackle which is just insane and then also getting Cody Ford the guard to help shore up that offensive line also love what the Bills did with Dawson Knox getting uh, their young quarterback a tight end but also really like what they did in undrafted free agency being able to grab somebody like quarterback out of Buffalo Tyree Jackson who was essentially a cut and paste of Josh Allen so that if anything were to happen to Josh Allen he's a little bit more unrefined Josh Allen is because he's essentially taught himself how to play quarterback but you get him into some NFL facilities give him the practice that he needs the coaching that he needs and then you're able to run the exact same offense with Tyree Jackson if something happens with Josh Allen and he goes down over in Denver Noah Fant uh, Drew Locke just some great picks over there as well so I want to ask you about um, Hakeem Butler and Tyree Jackson um Tyree a little bit less, but Hakeem Butler, I know you were really high on him. What do you think happened and made him made him fall so far? Man, you know, it happened with a lot of these wide receivers. You saw A.J. Brown slide out of the first round. You saw D.K. Metcalf slide out of the first round. These are guys that were, you know, supposed to be these big-time wide receiver talents. You saw uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside go in the third round. So you saw the, all, a lot of these wide receivers slide. And I think that a lot of it just had to do with how much depth there was at that wide receiver position because you could go about 13 deep in that wide receiver class and still get somebody valuable like a Keyshawn Johnson out of Fresno State or a Jalen Hurd out of Baylor, the transfer from Tennessee who used to play running back and then changed position to wide receiver. He went in the early third round. He ended up going before Hakeem Butler. So you saw all of these you – know, oh, and then also Demarcus Lodge out of um, out of Ole Miss who didn't get drafted at all. He went undrafted and then ended up going to Tampa Bay. And I like what they did with undrafted free agency over there too. And so you look at those players, those wide receivers, and I think that it was just a devalue at the position or let me say depreciating value at the position because of the depth that there was there as opposed to the big-time playmakers that you can get in the trenches, which is a lot of where the the draft really went offensive line defensive line there was a lot of selections that went to shoring up those trenches for the teams as that's where they feel like you can win a lot of games so what about Tyree Jackson I know I know super raw prospect right but just a cannon for an arm real big athletic guy um you would think somebody might take a flyer on him at least in the six or sevens but nobody did why do you think that was yeah, it's absolutely what I expected. I actually selfishly would have been okay with the Saints selecting him at some point, too, to get him into a Sean Payton offense. Is Sean Payton, you know, just giving him somebody that can, you know, put the ball 70 yards in the air, but with the flick of a wrist just would have been a lot of fun. Six, seven quarterback, uh, just somebody that's, you know, big in stature and is imposing like that and hard to take down. He could have been a lot of fun, but, you know, he's somebody that he just didn't really fit the mold. I mean, you can look at a couple of other quarterbacks that were expected to be drafted. Uh, Kyle Kemp out of Iowa State, who did get a rookie minicamp invite with the Saints. He didn't really get to play a ton uh, over at Iowa State for his last year, so he didn't really, you know, so he didn't get drafted. You saw Tyree Jackson get dra- not get drafted. You saw Will Greer drop all the way to, uh, I think it was the third round where the Carolina Panthers selected him. And so I think that just the division between the top talent and quarterbacks and then the enormous drop-off that essentially – I guess it looked like teams had after Drew Locke moving forward. Uh, just sort of, again, the depreciating value ticket took, uh, sort of kicked in. And then, you know, those quarterbacks kind of slipped out. You know, Tyree Jackson is somebody that always had the potential to go undrafted or to at least go late just simply because of the raw ability that he has uh, that would have gotten him drafted. 
is sort of counteracted a little bit too much by the fact that, you know, he essentially, like I said, he essentially taught himself how to quarterback. Then he played quarterback at Buffalo, which doesn't have amazing facilities or anything and, and quality coaching. They have some good coaching, but, you know, not a quarterback coach that's really going to help put you into that, you know, launch you to first round conversation or anything like that. And then so you see players like that who tend to, to fall off just simply because, you know, they're really, really raw and then they become more of a developmental project and they become a prospect, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, I, I have this question. I've, you mentioned some teams that did really well, right? Mm-hmm. Which teams could have drafted much better um, this year, oh. right? Like maybe they just oh. didn't address some needs or or maybe they pulled a – well, I, I won't mention I'll let you go. Because yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know the answer. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, know, you know where I'm going. You're talking about this drop-off at quarterback, and then you saw a team like uh, the New, New York Giants – uh, come up out of nowhere and snag somebody <laughs> like Daniel Jones at number six overall, and you're kind of going, "What?" Yeah, like it, it made no sense. And but you know, like that was that was their guy. That was the dude, the dude that they needed to go and get. And so you know, it was. It, I think it was somebody that put out on Twitter about how like imagine being the general manager that trades away Odell Beckham Jr. and it's not the worst move that you made in the offseason. Mm. And that's crazy. Mm. Like to even consider, like that's just nuts. Uh, and so I definitely I point to the New York Giants as a team that just really didn't do what they could have done. And then they grabbed Dexter Lawrence with the 17th overall pick. Brandon Olson really put it into perspective when he joined Locked On Saints on Monday that we tra- he said we traded Odell Beckham Jr. for a nose tackle, and that's really what happened. And then they got a third first round pick when they traded back into the first round and they took the very first cornerback to come off the board but it was a zone corner deandre baker out of georgia you don't trade up for a zone corner you don't trade up for a corner when you also got byron uh when you also got byron murphy still on the list there and sitting there is probably the top prospect in the nfl in in the nfl draft at corner you know the argument is either him or Reed williams who ended up going to uh, who ended up going to cleveland so for me i have a lot of t- I, it's it's really tough to sort of get any kind of positive out of what the what what the New York Giants did uh, throughout their draft because it, it just I don't know man I, Daniel Jones number six and then where do you go from there <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> you can only go up from there right <laughs> yeah that's what you would hope but I guess they they found a way you know, they found a way they were determined <laughs> you know so um okay in your estimation as you were looking at um Byron and Greedy who did you have ranked um higher. Oh man, um, I go I lean personally, just out of my bias, I lean a little bit more toward Greedy, but technique-wise, I lean a little bit more toward Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy was just a little bit more polished uh, as a as as a man defender as well, somebody that can play a little bit of zone. He has he showed. Let me say it this way: he showed more tackling ability. It could be that Greedy Williams just made a series of business decisions all throughout college and just didn't get involved in trying to get into you know getting the tackles that he didn't need to be a part of in order to keep himself healthy going into the draft. That's totally understandable, and that's totally something that people do but for me i put byron murphy just 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 a smidge ahead because for a lot of the year in lsu christian fulton looked like he was the best cornerback on that team as opposed to greedy mm. williams mm. okay and that could have been because greedy just kind of you know took the foot off the pedal right as, yeah. as you were mentioning okay yeah and not and i don't mean that in a negative way like he doesn't have drive or he doesn't have motivation but you know i mean he's got a family that in you know in, in from that point in a year 
he's got to he, he's got to support and that yeah. he's paying attention to. And so you make a series of business decisions like that, and you can't be mad at him. Look at somebody like Nick Bosa, who didn't even play his entire his entire year. You know what I'm saying? Because he needed to get ready for the draft. You know what I mean? So like stuff like that makes perfect sense. Yo, so you mentioned Nick Bosa. I just have a real quick question. Um, mm-hmm. of the people in the first round, minus Daniel Jones, um, who has the <laughs> who has the biggest bust potential? Uh oh, man, that's a great question. I think in the first round, I would probably put that on. I'd probably put that not because I think it's possible, but just because I think the status at which he got drafted, the entire situation circulating around him. I got to give that to Kyler Murray, not because I believe like that, not because I believe he's going to be a bust, but because he's got the biggest, as you said, bust potential. He's somebody that just usurped another top ten quarterback the year after he was drafted, and is now coming in to be the guy for a brand new coach, a brand new system, a brand new style of play in Arizona. Essentially, brought in to be the franchise guy. Um, you know, they made that. That weird, weird, weird Dak Prescott commercial. <laughs> I don't know what that was about, but uh, you know, you got a guy that turned <laughs> down millions and millions of dollars from the MLP to come and play in the NFL, and then now he's the face of a franchise and everything. And so, I would, I would, I would give that to him. And again, not because I think he's, not because I think he's going to be a bust, but just the situation around him, the circumstances around him, lead you to believe that he's got the biggest potential for it. Okay, so I, I know based on listening to you, you've studied the draft extensively. I mean, you go really far. Like, in order to come up with the seven-round draft um, for the Saints, who didn't have a first-round draft pick, right? Um, or right. a third round on this year, right? Right. Or a fourth. Oh, a fourth. <laughs> <laughs> and coming up with their mock, you had to go far. Um so I want to know this, which player in your estimation kind of fell the furthest from where you had them, from where you evaluated them, where you valued them, they fell the furthest from that mark? Um, you know, I think, you know, we kind of talked about Hakeem Butler who dropped all the way to round four, pick one, first pick in the fourth round. But the other person that I think took a pretty big tumble for me is that somebody that I didn't even expect to make it out of the first half of the of the first round because I thought there were going to be a little you know I thought there were going to be a couple of quarterbacks I'm sorry a couple of wide receivers to go in the first round I got to go AJ Brown out of Ole Miss just everything that he's able to do out of the slot and, and along the perimeter playing on the boundary just his flexibility his versatility and what he's able to do and how he's able to affect the game as somebody that is a more polished route runner than his companion DK Metcalf he's got a little bit more of an expanded route tree good speed he's able to sort of get all around all around the field and has that go up and get it type mentality as well see ball get ball uh, he's somebody that I didn't expect to make it out of the first round and so to drop beyond halfway through the second round that was a big tumble for me and then I also mentioned again Hakeem Butler who you know, a lot of Saints fans really loved and didn't think that he was ever going to be available at 62. The Saints, of course, ended up trading up to 48. But not only was he available to 62, he was available all the way into, you know, out of the top 100 yeah. going into the top of the fourth round, which is just kind of insane as somebody that was supposed to be a first round pick. A lot of people had him going to the Patriots at the end of the first round, who, of course, are the only team to take a wide receiver in the first round. And that was uh, Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State. So I, I, I would sort of put that. I would give it to A.J. Well, Brown because his tumble, even though it wasn't as far, his potential is so great. And then Hakeem Butler just took a really, really huge tumble despite his great potential. So, um, remember, Baltimore took um, Hollywood. 
Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. So there were two. There were two wide receivers that went. And Hollywood, I think, is somebody that I expected to go in the first round. Just that quality, that the quality of speed that he brings, and a team like Baltimore that needs a wide receiver was about to go in with Willie Snead again uh, as their top receiver. Uh, that one made a lot of sense. Man, I miss good old Willie. Oh man, I got to tell you, he's somebody that I think the Saints in particular have really worked to try to replicate. Uh, as somebody as that slot receiver, uh, just kind of a big-bodied guy who can, you know, can you know, who can who can be in the middle, who can be congested in the middle of the field, and still come up with a with a short handy catch. You know, those those third and fifteens that he helped convert and everything throughout his time in New Orleans, and they've been looking for somebody that can do that. I think they might have found him, but uh, but they're definitely they're definitely still trying to search for that slot receiver. Okay, I'm I'm definitely gonna go back to that. You say you think they might have found him. I need to know who you think that is. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, um, but let's go to the next the the other side of that coin, right? Which player outside of the Giants pick, right, right went right, right. went a lot higher than you expected? Um, a couple of them that went in the first round that um that I didn't expect them to go there. I mean, Colin Farrell out of Clemson, defensive end, went to the Oakland Raiders at number four. The Raiders talked a lot about going for you know this big surprise pick at number four and things like that, and the big surprise behind that was like why the hell are you doing that? What are you doing? <laughs> you have two more picks in the first round. He's probably going to be there. And if you really need him, package those two first round picks to move up to the middle of the first round where Cleveland Farrell will still be. You don't have to rush for that. You still had Josh Allen on the board. You still had Ella, had Oliver on the board. Uh, you still, you still, and you even still had Rashawn Gary who ended up going pick 12 to the Packers on the board. So what was your big rush to get a hold of somebody like uh, 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 like Clellan Farrell out uh, out of Clemson, who probably wasn't even the best defensive lineman on that big time uh, 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 Clemson defensive line. And then the other one that stands out to me, of course, and it kind of stood out to a lot of people too, was the Seattle Seahawks taking LJ, LJ Collier. Uh, I think they're just in a rush, honestly, to try to fill that Frank uh, that that Frank Clark sized hole. And then so they went for the TCU prospect there, and then threw him into threw him into the mix. Uh, so those are two that really stand out for me. One other one that I'll throw in, and I'm not saying this because it's an Atlanta Falcons pick, but the fact that they traded back into the first round to grab Caleb McGarry, who was probably going to be there at their original round pick, that was a little much for me too, especially when you've already invested for a quarter of your salary cap, you know, forty over $40 million of your salary cap to the offensive line to then give up assets to trade up and take another offensive lineman after you've already taken one earlier in the round. That could have been there if you would have stayed where you were. Uh, that one was another big reach for me. I had a real hard time trying to figure that one out too. I, I I know they're trying to figure out something to stop Cam Jordan. Like I know they're trying to figure <laughs> out something. Like what can I do right, right to, to stop this terroristic threat that keeps coming from that side of the line? I can't figure it out for real. Um, and so maybe that's it was a kind of move of desperation. Like I don't I don't know what it was for real. Um, but I like the move because, well, anyway, I don't want to talk, mention my bias here, but right, right like no, I feel you, I feel you. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I like the move. I'm like, hey, great move. Uh, <laughs> and especially, especially too, with somebody like Juwan Taylor who was still on the board there, and that went about four later to Jacksonville, going yeah. into the top of the second round. Like it just, it, it was a little bit of a reach for me. I, I, I it didn't, it, it didn't make any sense to me. I honestly was somewhat um, afraid at the time, and we'll talk about this later, but I also was kind of afraid at the time that they were actually trading back in um, to the round right. to to get DK Metcalf or something mm-hmm. like that. 
uh, or a you know phenomenal run. Well, maybe there were some running backs on the board still. Um, mm-hmm. I thought they might do something like that, and I feel like in that situation, get a DK Metcalf, a Julio Jones, right? Um, a, a Riley, and now you got something you can't really contend with. So I I thought that might have been the move, but I was very happy with what they did. Agree. <laughs> So, okay, based on – but let's let's kind of dive in there too, right? So based on that draft, we looked at uh, – we saw what the Bucks did, right, pulling another LSU linebacker, and we got to deal with that from now on, right? Um, but based on that drafts, which two teams in the NFC South, right, are currently in the best position to compete with the Saints for the division crown? I got to tell you, uh, and I actually talked about this on, on Locked on Saints this morning. Uh, I think that – in terms of what team has the ability to compete the most with the Saints, despite the confusing draft picks that they made, um, the, the Atlanta Falcons are essentially always going to be the perennial threat to the NFC South for the Saints, and that that's kind of impassable. That offense is still very explosive. Um, they did shore up that offensive line over, or uh, they're they're hoping that they shored up the offensive line over the over the uh, off season, which is going to be big in terms of keeping Matt Ryan upright is the ideal situation for them, so they can continue to run that offense. However, the thing that bothers me is that they really didn't do a lot of work on that defense at all. So they're sort of betting on themselves in that way, saying that, you know, oh, you know, once those injuries aren't a problem anymore, we're going to be fine, the defense is going to be better. But if you look at two years ago, that defense was still not great. Uh, and so I don't really know what the what the what the mentality is there. But in terms of who drafted well and the drafts that I like in the NFC South, I really like what the Tampa Bay Bucks did outside of taking yet another kicker in the NFL draft. I don't mm. understand why they keep doing this to themselves. Mm. But the Carolina Panthers, I think, really set themselves up. Uh, in a positive way. I really, really like what they did. Getting Brian Burns is the best slash worst selection that they could have made uh, at pick 16. Getting them an edge rushing presence, which is something that the defense has missed for so long. Julius Peppers ain't got it. You know, they need somebody that's in there to be able to do that, to, to, to serve that old Julius Peppers role, let me say it that way. Um, and then being able to stack up and get uh, Greg Little uh, in the second round out of Mississippi, so they got some protection. They got another bookend on that on that offensive line. So you've already got Trey Turner, who is a Pro Bowler, and then now you're adding to that offensive line to get Cam Norton, Cam Newton, some help because he's got the shoulder problem. You saw him really. I mean, I would use the word deteriorate throughout the season last year and it was kind of tough to watch and then so what they also did in the third round was that they grabbed will greer out of west virginia one of the probably the best quarterback that will i'm sorry that west virginia has had he broke a lot of records out there he had like a 37 touchdown to eight interception ratio last season or something like that he's, he's very talent and he's got a really i like his attitude he's he's he, he man he's petty and i like that and uh <laughs> he's somebody that can go in there and will not only settle for being, you know, the, the you know, he won't, he won't just battle for that backup position. He's going to push for starting time because that's his attitude, right? Is he going to get it? Probably not. But his attitude is, I'm going to push to be the best quarterback in this room. And I love that about him. Uh, and then, you know, they did a couple of other things, too. Uh, a little bit later on in the draft, they picked up Dennis Daly, who's a fantastic swing tackle. He can play multiple positions all over the line. I've mocked him to the Saints before with one of the live mock drafts that I did with the Lockdown Saints Facebook group. He's somebody that we really like because of the fact that he's able to move around the line. And so I love really, really, really like what the Carolina Panthers are able to do in this draft. So I, I don't know what's what's going on with their offensive system. It must be very easy to pick up. It seems towards the end of the year last year, they were just grabbing grocery store clerks and throwing them in at quarterback, and they were doing super well. Um, I think Will Greer is a great selection for them, especially if he can pick up the offense in about a week and a half. Right. <laughs> 
week, right? Yeah, he could come in, you know, week three. He just took the whole time off, and then he could take over the starting position if Cam Newton gets hurt. But, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they set up their offense to be an offense that, you know, that, that Cam Newton was comfortable running. Remember that this offense is developed over the fact that Cam Newton was coming out of Auburn as a raw quarterback prospect and didn't really know how to go through his progressions, and so they did a lot of one-two replays. So this is still – the, the, the impetus for the offense that they run today is still based on the offense that they created around Cam Newton, who had those limitations at that time, has become a far better quarterback since then. But still, the impetus and sort of the catalyst for what this offense now is was bred from what that offense was. And so that's one of the reasons why the system is so easy for new quarterbacks coming in to try to learn. Uh, and they're able to pick it up pretty quickly because of that. Wow, wow, wow. Great insight so far. Guys, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to to hop into the Saints draft and what they did in the draft. All right, we'll be right back. All right, guys, we're back. We're on the line with Ross Jackson. Um, I mean, just a phenomenal analyst over at Locked On Saints. Um, just one of the best, best podcasts on the Locked On Sports Network. Um, and we're now going to hop into... His bread and butter. We're going to start talking about the Saints draft and kind of I'm I'm going to get a little bit um, emotional at first because I kind of want to know feelings wise. Where were you um, in certain parts of the draft? Because there is this angst that happens right before the selection uh, that your team makes. Right. And I kind of want to know where you were with that. So let's talk for a second about that. In the second round, when the Saints moved up right from 62, what did you initially think the selection was going to be and why? That was that was a, a crazy moment for me because there were so many names still on the board. We were talking about all those names that dropped. A.J. Brown was still on the board, who would have been a perfect fit in New Orleans. Uh, Hakeem Butler was still on the board. Of course, we've talked about that. They also had Irv Smith Jr., whose father played tight end for the Saints coming out of you know, he was coming out of Alabama. He went two picks later to the Vikings. I thought maybe they would be going for him. There was just a lot of uh, Greedy, Greedy Williams was still on the board, and I thought maybe like, oh, maybe they're going to be taking a look. At, oh no, Greedy Williams had just come off the board. That's right. So they still had you know some of these other corners on the board, Jawan Williams, Lonnie Johnson, stuff like that. So there was still some other position, you know, potential players you could go for. And then you know the other part of it was okay, maybe they're trading up for Elton Jenkins. But then I realized right when the selection was made. So it wasn't really me realizing anything, but I didn't realize that Eric McCoy didn't go. I had just been locked into the fact, like, Eric McCoy is, Eric McCoy is a lock for the first round. He's going to be out there. So needless to say, even though all of those players that I was trying to cycle through in my mind, it says who it is that they're going for, uh, when they made the selection, I was still very, very happy with what they did. So were you like, as soon as they made the pick, your initial reaction was yes? Or was your initial reaction like, hmm? No, I, I ran, homie. I ran. I did like a little lap, bro, <laughs> because I just needed to get that energy out. You feel me? <laughs> because I was so excited about the fact they were able to grab this dude. I mean, you know, people have heard me, if anybody is listening that also has listened to Locked on Saints. And if you're not listening, if you are listening, you haven't listened to Locked on Saints, fix that. Jump on over there. We yeah, everywhere. fix that ASAP. Uh, <laughs> appreciate you. Uh, but, you know, Eric McCoy is somebody that has – such a fantastic fit for what the Saints do that it's hard not to be excited about what he brings to, to the to offense as a potential plug and play starter for you know Max Unger who just retired from that position. Yeah, that's real. Um, so in, in in my estimation, my first thought was a little bit different. So I know that there's so many other you know kind of needs in, in that moment, but 
Um, and you know, you, you saw what they did in the off season. You saw as soon as Max Unger retires, they go ahead and they make a selection. Um, well, they not make a selection, they make a signing real quick right after that. Right, Nick Easton comes in, and you think immediately he's the plug and play. We're fine, everything. Let's go back to normal. Um, but there, there was a big need for offensive line depth because after I want to say week ten last year, you saw. Um, the mm-hmm. offense start to sputter, and you couldn't really figure it out why. Most people blamed it on only having one weapon, and people well, only having two major weapons, right? And and mm-hmm. uh, Alvin Kamara and and Michael Thomas. And some people were like, you know what? Maybe the NFL has now figured that out, the two weapon system, and now they're done with that. But what it really was is that this offensive line was just not the same. Everybody right. was dealing with injuries, and so um, I, I see why you did your lap. I see why you ran around. <laughs> in that moment um but then when you heard the trade details did you feel like the saints gave up too much or was it just kind of par for the course it, it's par for the course when it comes to the saints yeah i mean like look i've at, at growing up a saints fan and and having lived through and really learned this team throughout the sean payton era in particular just because of my age um uh, giving up future picks giving up future second round picks that's normal. That that's just that. I thought that's how you draft. Brandon also and I were talking about how like you know there's those times like when you're growing up, you yeah, go to your friend's house and like they don't do what you do when you find out you're the weird one in that situation. That's kind of what I feel like when it comes to the way the Saints do draft trades. They trade future picks. That's what they do. And so the way that I look at it is as a Saints fan and as somebody that covers the Saints as part of their media, I look at the fact that oh the Saints have a 2021 second round pick. They got a 2020 second round pick if they want it. They'll be fine. Yep. You know. So I always look at them being. Able able to do that and being able to move up and stuff i mean like when you look at next year's draft right now there's no second round pick and there's no seventh round pick and other than that they're still intact for next season and so you can expect 100 percent 2020 i expect them to trade up again and to get back into that second round if there's somebody there that they want uh, i put out on twitter as as the draft was going on particularly after their next selection that the saints are playing a see ball get ball type of draft right now and it's working for them and i think that they did what they needed to do so no i didn't really stand out to me as paying too much i get people saying that but you know, like when you've been a part of this culture and when you understand what it is that the Saints like to do and you pay attention to what the coaches like to do and what they're willing to make moves with, yeah, it ain't no thing. It ain't no thing trading away a second round pick. That's no big deal. So you go to other podcasts and you're like, so y'all don't trade your second round pick for next year? Yeah, exactly. I'm in there like, wow, y'all, y'all <laughs> kept your second round pick for next year? That's weird. So you just get the <laughs> guy that lands to you? Well, I, okay. Right? Like you just stayed there and waited? That's crazy. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> Yo, so um, the Saints not only shocked people with making moves like that. Well, people outside of New Orleans, right? Um, but they, they also shocked a lot of, of the fan base, right? By going after two safeties. And even some people who have Saints podcasts and they're always just, you know, talking about the Saints consistently. They were even shocked by the fact that they went after two safeties when they already have two pretty, you know, good young safeties on uh, on the team. What did you think about that strategy? I like the strategy, and I think that it comes down to looking beyond just the title of safety, and that's where a lot of people sort of had like their initial reactions. Why would you grab another safety and everything? So you can look at Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who he grabbed at 105 overall. They traded up for him uh, to grab him in the fourth round. They went ahead and picked and selected him, not as somebody that's going to play safety. He can. He can play single high safety. He can play box safety. You can move him around. He's a great chess piece, but... 
during his senior year in Florida, he played what was called in that in that defense the star position, all caps. And what that basically was was a nickel roll. It was a nickel cornerback, basically. Uh, he was essentially a safety that played a nickel roll in coverage, but also blitzed and also played in the box. So he did a little bit of everything uh, while playing that position, and that's valuable. That's extremely valuable, especially in today's NFL. It's a passing league, so you need to have those corners. You need to have those those people that are able to come and play that position. Why is that secondary? Why is having a uh, a nickel corner important? Well, Patrick Robinson had that ankle injury last year. He broke his ankle in week four, missed the rest of the season. We don't really know how his rehab has been so far. We haven't really been led in to know about that. We expect that he'll be back at the beginning of the season. But what if he gets hurt again? Your only other option, again, is Pete Williams, who is potentially going to be serving a suspension at the beginning of the season because of his DUI arrest early in the offseason. So if Patrick Robinson gets hurt, during those, you know, during one of those first probably four games, if you look back to Elise Sneed, who also was suspended for DUI arrest uh, in the offseason, who, who are you going to? King Crawley? No. No. 100% no. no. Absolutely not. And then the only other option is to switch back to three safety sets, which the Saints only played 82 of last year because of the fact that they actually had a nickel defense. People like to attribute the lack of 82, I'm sorry, the lack of three safety sets to Kurt Coleman and his inability to, to grasp the system. And really what it had to do with was the fact that they had Patrick Robinson and then they had P.J. Williams who was able to step in. Most of those 82 safety sets were either played, I'm sorry, most of those 82 three safety sets were either played late in the game or while they were still working on that three or four game transition from Patrick Robinson to P.J. Williams in the slot. So now you have a guy like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson that comes in and plugs in immediately as a backup and can also play for a starting role in the nickel eventually because Patrick Robinson has an out in his contract after the season. All of his guaranteed money is done after the season. He's on a four-year contract, but he's essentially done after two years. They can move on from him if they want to, and they can do it cleanly. Or he can move on if he wants to. It goes both ways. So then because Chauncey Garner-Johnson serves that role, that open safety role in the fourth, you know, because usually they keep four safeties on the roster. So right now they've got Marcus Williams, they've got Von Bell, and they've got Chris Banjo for sure, who's a special teams uh, specialist as well. You get a Saquon Ampton, who's also a special team specialist, who was top 70 on their board, and you selected him at 177. And you get somebody that can still find a spot on the roster because he can slip into that third or fourth safety position, just in terms of depth, and then can also serve a special teams role. And then the two are no conflict to one another at all. So that actually, just looking at what they specialize in, even though they're titled the same position, they play two entirely different spots on the defense. Okay, so... Um, I know that you're enamored with the the pick of Chauncey Gunner Johnson and just I don't know if we can call him CGJ yet. Um, <laughs> I think he has to earn those initials. I'm not sure. Um, but I I feel like right. You look at him. I know you're enamored with him. Actually, looking at his film, checking him out. I am too. And most of the Saints um nation so far are you know enamored with that pick. My question is, how do you feel about the Saquon Hampton pick? And and, and do you think they could have went a different route there? Um, certainly they could have gone a different route, but we know that the Saints don't like to draft for need, which is one of the reasons why they never went for run, never went wide receiver in this draft. They stuck to their board. So Saquon Hampton was in the top 70 on their big board, and so they were able to get three of their top 70 players and the first 177 picks in the draft, which is extremely successful when you look at what that is. I like Saquon Hampton. He's actually a name that we brought up briefly on the All Saints Considered podcast where we were talking about some potential safeties that are out there. We were talking about some potential players that they could be selecting later on in the draft. And so to take a guy like Saquon Hampton at 177 at the top of the sixth round, you get somebody that has a connection to the Saints already. You can look at the fact that his 
position coach at Rutgers in 2015. He was coached under him. That position coach went on to take an internship under Darren Rizzi with the uh, Miami Dolphins when he was playing, when he went there as a special teams intern to work with special teams coordinator Darren Rizzi. Darren Rizzi is now the special teams coordinator in New Orleans. He brings in that same coach as a special teams assistant, and then they turn around and draft the kid that was coached by the assistant that used to be a positions coach at Rutgers. So, like, the connection is all there, and it makes perfect sense as to why Saquon Hampton ends up in New Orleans. And, by the way, shout out John Sigler for that information because that's great info. Um, Being able to do that and get him in there and to be able to get a player that says it would be an honor to play special teams. No special teams coach has ever heard that before. Zero special teams coaches have heard that before. So you're looking at a guy that wants to be on a roster that wants to contribute and can also, oh, by the way, jump 36 and a half inches in the air and can run a 4-4-8. He's somebody that is athletic. He has shown his ability to be able, his propensity to play that safety position, walking away with five interceptions over his career, including three last year when he got his all Big Ten honorable mention and was also a team captain. The Saints really like team captains, by the way, in case people haven't realized that. Um, He's somebody that really fits in. And being somebody that covers punt returns and covers kick returns as well as he does, Dan Rizzi said before the draft even kicked off, Saturday is special teams day. Saquon Hampton is that guy. So I want to ask you this. You talked about athleticism. One of the most athletic players on the field, whenever he's on the field, um, is Marcus Davenport. Um, And a lot of people question the aggressive move that they made last year when they spent two first-round picks on him. My overall question is for you, do you now think, based on looking at him for a year, seeing the returns on that, right, do you think that that was worth it? Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, when you look at what the Saints... So the Saints didn't have a lot of holes in their roster last year. That's true for this year, too. But going into the draft, they had more picks last year. I think they took six players, seven players. Yeah, seven players last year. Only three of them actually made the roster. Four of them went elsewhere. And so when you look at that and you consider that, there's not a lot of spots available for the Saints. You know, just roster spots available for those rookies. So trading up and selecting the guy that you want, the person you know is going to make the roster, kind of like what they did this year with uh, with Eric McCoy, it makes sense because you're not worried about trying to trying to you know throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. You're worried about getting the person that you want, the guy that you had your eyes on, just like Marcus Davenport was last year, just like Eric McCoy was this year. They really wanted him and knew they were going to trade up in the second round to get him if he was there. They knew that going in. And so it, it makes perfect sense that they would say it's about quality, it's not about quantity. And so they're not worried about stacking up picks and saving picks and things like that. They're worried about burning their picks and getting the players that they want in the building so that they can maximize this window that they have open with Drew Brees while Drew Brees is still the quarterback. But also, you're setting forth with Marcus Davenport a cornerstone on your defense opposite Cam Jordan who can still set up a defense that way that can work regardless of what quarterback is under center because that's irrelevant when the defense is on the field. So you want a defense that's going to be able to put whoever your new quarterback for the future is, whether it be today Bridgewater or or, 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 depending on who it is that they end up going with, that's all written in chalk at the moment. Uh, you want a defense that's going to be able to get the ball back in their hands and give them the most opportunities to maximize score, put points on the board, and win. So you mentioned this window for, for Drew. Um, are you little? You saw what happened towards the end of the year um, mm-hmm. when it was a little bit tough for him to get the ball out to an open Ted Ginn against Philadelphia. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he saw a few struggles, right, um, towards the end. Are you slightly concerned with with Drew going into this next season, or is that not a concern for you at all? 
I'm not concerned with Drew in particular. I'm more just concerned about the management of his arm in terms of making sure that moving forward into this next season that, you know, they don't essentially blow the, the roof off the place too early, 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 and it end up throwing his arm out by the end of the season when it actually, like, when it actually matters. Now, you can look at the Saints' schedule and see, okay, starting off 10-1, and one, not so bad. You know, you can do that and then also be able to maintain, you know, if you lose a few games toward the end of the season, which is what happened with them. And so I'm not too entirely worried about what the Saints are going to be able to do early in the season because they need to be on early this season because they have that really tough four-game, four-playoff team stretch to open up the year. And then they go, you know, uh, with all of these teams that are have improved over the offseason as well, moving forward up until the bye week. And they come out of the bye week with four divisional games right off the bat, including the Thanksgiving game in uh, in Atlanta. So you don't really have an option this year of not starting off quick. You need to start off quick. So it's about the management for me of being able to do that. I think, though, that with the addition of Jared Cook, which I think is more important that Drew Brees has a tight end that he can rely on, as opposed to what everyone was shouting about last year, which was a second wide receiver option, specifically opposite Michael Thomas. I think that having Jared Cook on the field is going to be huge for Drew Brees because he won't have to sort of throw himself out of games. You look at what the Saints were able to do last year, and they ran a lot those first four games because they're able to rely on Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara did fantastic while Mark Ingram was out on that PED suspension. And so now he's going to be taking the bulk of the offense, Latavius Murray picking up a little bit of what Mark Ingram left behind, but then the rest of what Mark Ingram has left is up to Alvin Kamara to fill in. I think that he'll be able to do that, and I think that's going to help prolong the success of Drew Brees and the Saints moving forward throughout the year. And I think that the attention that they paid to the offensive line is going to be a huge benefit to them as well, because even though the offensive line didn't allow a ton of sacks, they were one of the fewest in allowed sacks last season, this year, I think has the potential to be even better because of their depth. If Teron Armstead goes out for a game and you have to bump Andrews Pete out to left tackle, you don't all of a sudden have two vulnerable spots on the defense. You're going to be able to plug Nick Easton in at left guard and then have Eric McCoy at center and your Gucci. So I think that those types of things will be able to help enormously for the Saints to see success all the way through the late portion of the year. Yeah, and, and for Teron Armstead, that feels more like a win at this point. Um, like a win that happens more so than an if, but I'm I'm hoping that it it doesn't, and I guess most Saints fans are. Um, let me ask this question: in in the mind of a lot of experts, right? They thought the Saints needed to come away with some wide receiver help, maybe even some cornerback help. Um, and I know you mentioned um that Chauncey Garner Johnson is is more a slot corner than a um than just a full time safety. So you know maybe they got that right, but still the wide receiver issue. Um, the Saints addressed neither position in the draft, right? But do you think that the the move that they did make in free agency, like getting P.J. Williams back, Cam Meredith, signing a, um, a Jared Cook, do you think, and even after the draft, right, signing um, Lil Jordan Humphrey, do you think that gives Peyton a level of com- uh, comfort going into the, the season? I think so, and you can see that in what their draft strategy was. They were able to stick to what their strategy was, which was go by the board. If they felt any pressure to go opposite that because of a position of need, they might have ended up making a series of bad decisions. And so when you look at the fact that they weren't pressured to go and grab a wide receiver in the draft, it means that they're comfortable with what they've got. I mean, you can look at the guys that we're already familiar with. You know, they drafted Traquan Smith last year. We know can't guard Mike can't be guarded. We know we take in Junior can take the top off of the defense when he's healthy, and we expect that he's going to be healthy going into the season. The addition of Jared Cook is going to be huge in helping to open up the offense. And then, yeah, go ahead and double-team, triple-team Michael Thomas all you want. I've still got Alvin Kamara to throw to out of the backfield. I've still got Jared Cook to rely on. And then you look at that slot position. 
position, right? So Cam Meredith took that pay cut this year, which makes him even easier to cut if they decide to move on from him because either his health is still a concern or he's not grasping the playbook. But then they have undrafted free agent from last year going into his second year, Keith Kirkwood out of Temple, who I think is going to be that next slot guy. He's the guy I was referencing earlier to answer your question earlier about Willie Sneed. He's the guy that's going to be able to step into that role. And I think that little Jordan Humphrey, who you mentioned, is somebody to keep an eye on as well as being somebody that could potentially end up backing up that slot role if they move on from Cameron Meredith. And then to have Keith Kirkwood and little Jordan Humphrey there, that's actually a really good tandem to have there because Keith Kirkwood runs in that 4-4 range. Lil Jordan Humphrey doesn't run. Mm-mm. You know, he's not he's not a good Mm-mm. runner. You know, he's just like four seven five at his best <laughs> in spandex. However, his play speed, his play speed is a little bit more complimentary to his game. And also six foot three, two hundred and ten pounds, you know, top five in the in his class in slot receptions with seventy seven, top two in his class with slot uh slot yards, reception from the slot, uh with uh what was it, one thousand thirty one yards, I believe. Seven out of his ten touchdowns in his career came from the slot. He's used to playing that big slot role. So he's somebody that I think actually has a really clean path to the roster if he's able to show up during the camp. I think that with all of that, Traven Durrell coming back from IR, Simi Cobbs coming back from IR as well, Austin Carr still being in the mix, and then you have you know all of these players, and even Emmanuel Butler, who they just brought in as well, for who they're bringing, or who they signed, actually, they're not bringing in from minicamp, but he was signed uh, as an undrafted free agent. They've got a lot of options at that wide receiver position, and I just don't think that they're pressed to try to add more. Again, take that spaghetti at the wall approach when they know the quality of what they have building already and that's a familiar thing with them they add jared cook and that helps to open up that offense altogether you know thank you so much for joining us you are are still listening to mtmv sports i'm gonna take a small break here and we'll be right back all right thank you um look we're still on the line with with man just this the phenomenal ross jackson man and i'm gonna keep saying that until y'all get it so um (laughs) so we're gonna hop in we're just gonna do something for fun right we'll play this game called um the best thing that ever happened something that happened or the worst thing that ever happened and so i'll bring up a random scenario and then you let me know um based on your thoughts right just in in your pure opinion right Mm -hmm. would this be the best thing that ever happened um or you know just something that happened or the (laughs) man is the worst thing that ever happened all right (laughs) You ready? All right, cool. Yeah, that sounds fun. Here we go. Ben Watson unretires and joins the Saints. That's 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 just something. That's something that happens. That's something that happens. <laughs> All right. Um, the Saints sign in Dominican Sue. Oh boy. Uh, I people ain't gonna like it, but I think that's the best thing that ever happens. That's the best thing that happens for that defensive line. They're in the, they're really in the market for a new three technique right now because of the fact that they don't have one on the roster. David Onyemata might be suspended for the beginning of the season. Sheldon Rinkins, their only three tech, of course, is probably going to start the uh, the year on the PUP list. So he's not going to be able to perform until after, probably until after the bye week, very, very late in the season. So you get somebody like Ndamukong Sue who can play nose tackle, but can also play that three tech, and then you're not re- relying on an undrafted free agent to do it. I think that's a really good move. I think that's one of the best things that happened right there. Yeah, I'm 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 agree with you there and and then for the first one I agree with you as well. Um okay. Des Bryant is healthy and he is running around, he's jumping, he's posting on Instagram, he's posting on Twitter, right? And he is fully healthy and ready to go. And then he signs with the Rams. 
I'm going to tell you, that's the worst thing that ever happened for Des Bryant. That's the worst move for Des Bryant right there. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool, Queen. All right. Um. Okay. Best thing, a thing, or the worst thing? The Falcons. We know, we saw what they did in the draft. You analyze what they needed, right? They go out and trade for Patrick Peterson. I'm going to say worst thing. I'm going to say worst thing because I know Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson is not that old. If you're talking about Patrick Peterson like he's old, I'm older than Patrick Peterson. Y'all stop that. Y'all stop <laughs> calling Patrick Peterson old. Y'all leave me alone. <laughs> but, you know, Patrick Peterson is one of the best uh, uh, cornerbacks to ever do it. Uh, he'd be huge out of LSU. We know that the Falcons have an infatuation with LSU players. Um, and so I think that that would actually be something that I think that they would pursue. But you put a guy like Patrick Peterson on can't guard Mike, and all of a sudden you got fireworks on that field twice a year, every year. Uh, so I think that that is, I think it's the worst thing to happen because I don't want the Falcons to do that. But also that would be a lot of fun to watch Patrick Peterson and Michael Thomas go at it two times a year. Now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, that would be really fun. Um, I just, I don't want that type of swag on that right. team. Right, yeah, they don't need that confidence, man. Right now they have none, and I like it that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Marcus Davenport goes out, and he has a eight-sack season. Oh, I'm going to say best thing, man, because then I'll tell you what, that does a couple of things. Uh, if Marcus Davenport's got eight sacks, Lord only knows how many sacks Cameron Jordan also has, right? Mm. So you look at what that tandem has done at that point. You're potentially looking at another double-digit sack season for Cam Jordan. I actually, and I'll say this for your listeners too, over the All Things Considered podcast, my bold prediction for this year is that Cam Jordan wins Defensive Player of the Year. That's my big one. Yeah, I heard like you say that. One. I heard you yep. say that when you were um, when you were talking to Olsen. I, I heard it, and I um, and when I heard it, I was like, you know what? He's been close a lot of times in my mind. Mm-hmm. He's been very close. And I heard your rationale, but you know what? They didn't. Tell them your rationale. Well, my rationale is that, look, you're talking about a dude, Cam Jordan, that created his own stat line. He got that triple-double a couple years ago, right? So you're looking at a dude that's coming into the Saints defense that has done the uh, double-digit sacks, double-digit tackles for loss, and double-digit passes ended at the line of scrimmage, which is an incredible thing to pull off. I think that he has the ability to do it, and I think he's got the drive to do it. You've seen him and, uh, and Akeem Hicks go on and on and on on Twitter, and then there was somebody that hit him up and was like, Hit, let, let me know when you, you know, hit me up, talk to me when you got defensive player of the year. And he was like, bet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so okay. He's got that drive, man. And he's with this defense that's able to do it. You've got a defense now finally that has a secondary, that has a second level that can communicate. So on the back end, you're also now, beyond just his pass rushing prowess, you're also adding coverage sacks to his game too. So you look at what he's able to do with that. That sack number is going to go up, I believe. His tackle for a loss that's not going down. He's a monster in the backfield and getting back there and disrupting uh, everything that's going on uh, behind the line of scrimmage. And then his batted passes, that's just a part of his game. He sort of patented that as a part of his game, so he's got that as a trademark. I think that he has the ability to do that. So you put together a defensive player of the year year by Cam Jordan with an eight-sack season by Marcus Davenport. You silence all the haters. You probably are going, you know, you're, you're on par with that defense being as good as you want it to be and as good as it was post-week 10 last year and as well as the latter half of uh, 2017 season. I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to file that one right under best thing to happen right there. Okay, okay. So, I'm asking you this. 
right? Um, <laughs> let's just say the Saints. Um, I say the Saints having are having a pretty decent season, but maybe towards the middle of the season, Drew's not doing well. He's just uh-huh. not throwing well, not reading well, and it's very clear that he's, you know, digressed a lot, right? He talks to Sean. Sean sits him down, right? Teddy uh-huh. comes in, and he's like the smoking hot gun. He comes in, and he kills. Then we win a Super Bowl, or the Saints win a Super Bowl with Teddy Bridgewater. But Drew Brees has a bad exit. Is it the best thing that ever happened? Man, it's just a thing that happened. Or is that the worst thing that ever happened? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna say it like this. For Saints fans, <laughs> that would be one of the best things to ever happen. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. I understand the idea that it is a negative for Drew Brees to not go out on top. And I get that 100%. But nothing is ruining Drew Brees' reputation in the city of New Orleans. That dude is a hero. That dude could run for mayor tomorrow mm-hmm. and win yesterday. By like, landslide. He, <laughs> like, he, he 100% is that important to the city. And he's one of the best players to ever do it in the NFL. And there's no argument that you can look at the numbers. There is arguing that, but you're delusional. You can look at the numbers. You can see it. It's there. You can look at the tape. You can see it. It's there. So I don't really know that him getting hurt is really going to be a bad exit for Drew Brees. It's bad because he deserves to be out on that field. Don't get me wrong. But for Saints fans, you get to go out. You get to see him go out with a Super Bowl ring. You get to see that he contributed to that early in the season and set the tone for the season that was then carried on by Teddy Bridgewater. And you get to watch the future of the New Orleans Saints unfold right in front of your eyes because now you can look at Teddy Bridgewater and comfortably say, that's a franchise quarterback. That's the quarterback of the future. And I think that those things combined come together to create the best thing that's happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, yo, um, yo, scale of one to 10, give me your faith to level in Teddy. So what's up? Give me a scale of one to ten. Give me your faith in Teddy. Ten being um, the highest amount of faith ever. I'm gonna say. <laughs> I'm gonna say. Uh, I'm gonna say seven. Ten okay. is reserved for my fiance, right? Bet. Faith, right? You feel me? <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna say seven. And here's why I say seven. I believe very strongly in Teddy Bridgewater and his ability to be able to take over the Saints and actually find success there. However, one of the things that is always gonna give me pause is the fact that since his injury. Uh, we've only seen him play two games, two two regular season games. He lit up the preseason last year. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. In that Jets jersey, he was something else, and he was a ton of fun to watch. And he had flashes of that in his game where he basically played with a line of wet college rule paper sheets in front of him week 17 yeah. against the Carolina Panthers where he had no protection. Yeah. But he still had flashes. That that touchdown pass to Traquan Smith in the back of the end zone, beautiful. Beautiful. His scramble and launch to uh, to Michael Thomas. Gorgeous. So you can, yeah, yo. So you can see that in him. And so I'm gonna say seven because I'm reserving some judgment because we've only really seen two creditable sample sizes of what he is able to do coming back from his injury. But because I believe in him so strongly, that's not gonna put him below a five for me. Bet. All right. So I want to tell everybody. Um, actually, no. I want you to tell them. Right. Tell them about all things considered. Um, tell them about the stuff you guys have going on over there. What do you do? Um, and then you know what kind of stuff that they can get if they visit your website and then kind of hop into all your material. Yeah, man. Yeah, I appreciate you opening up the floor for me like that. Uh, so when it comes to all things considered. That is a blog that uh, that we started to represent Saints fans as Saints fans. Everybody that writes for that site is a lifelong Saints fan and is trying to come at 
what the Saints are doing, making sure that you understand that we feel the exact same things that you feel, and we're going to go out and we're going to write about it. And so that means that we're going to write about the Saints when they're at their highest, and we're going to be very excited. And we're going to write about the Saints when they're at their lowest, and we're going to be real disappointed. We're going to feel the same things that you feel. And it's not about being biased. It's not about being unbiased. It's about being real. And so that's what you find over at All Saints Considered. We do. Uh, we have articles that go up nearly every day. Uh, we try to keep that up as much as we can with you know busy schedules and everything like that. But that's our first and foremost priority is that website. So there's a ton of new material that's gone up over the last week. I did 13 articles over draft week, which is crazy. That was almost two, two articles a week. My, my, wrists, <laughs> my hands hurt, man. My hands hurt, right? And so uh, we, we're doing that. We've got the podcast as well, which you can follow at the ASC podcast. So that's a partner program that we do along partner programming that we do along with the website where you can hear myself, Tyler McClatchy, who's the founder of All Saints Considered, and then fellow podcast host Vern Powell and uh, Alec uh, Salas, who are all we're all from all different parts of the country talking about coming together to talk about our favorite team we have a uk writer on our team as well that's giving you a national perspective so we have a lot of stuff like that and then we're also tyler and i in particular are really pushing youtube as well so you can find us over on youtube at all saints considered before the draft what we did was that we went on and we talked about potential picks at 62 we really focused down on 62 we talked offense and defense we put together videos with that so where you can actually see the players and you can see what it is that we're talking about while we're talking about it so you're not just listening but you can also take it in as a visual aid as well so you can see some of those players and then get to watch some film along with us so we've got all of those things that are going on uh, and then so you can find that over at allsaintsconsidered.com you can follow us on the twitter at all saints blog and that twitter is uh, a lot of fun because we tr- we tend to keep that pretty casual so that's a lot of anal- analytics a lot of stats everything like that but we throw out some memes that we have a lot of fun too we do some polls and everything we love we love working with the audience that way and then there's also the asc podcast which you can find on itunes uh stitcher spotify everything like that so how'd you get hooked up with um the locked on sports network and, and what are you guys doing over there so that came up because uh, I started doing my solo podcast with All Saints Considered that was called Single High Safety, and I had done a few episodes of that and everything, and so that catalog, along with the portfolio of my written work, as well as my work with the group podcast, gave me a little bit of recognition, I'm very grateful for that, I'm a very lucky, lucky person, I'm very fortunate, uh, and David Locke over at the Lockdown Podcast Network hit me up and was like, yo, we're looking for somebody to host the Saints, Lockdown Saints podcast, we haven't had a host in about a year, you want to come through, and he just opened that door for me and I stepped right in and uh, and I've been loving it. So over there, we do daily podcasts every Monday through Friday, really quick, not quick episodes, but really sort of ingestible episodes for your commute in particular. We sort of keep that in mind about, you know, how long does it take you to get from the train to work if you're, if you're taking public transportation or how long is your drive, stuff like that. So we really take care of all that. And then we do uh, segments that are about 22 to 27 minutes, your usual average commuter time. So that you're able to quickly ingest those and it's every single day. So you're getting the most up-to-date information about your favorite team. There's one show for every professional sports team, MLB, NBA, and uh, NFL. And then now we've also got college teams as well. Matt Moscona is an incredible host over at the LSU podcast, Locked on LSU. And so that's what we're bringing you. So every day I've got either guests coming through or it's just me and I'm rocking and giving you the most updated information that you've got about the Saints. And that one as well, you can find it Locked On Saints. You can find that one on the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Locked On Saints. You can also find it on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course the Himalaya podcast app as well. 
Awesome, awesome. Yo, man, we've been um, just happy, just overjoyed to have Ross Jackson on the podcast with us today. Um, thank you so much for listening. Look, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you like what you're hearing, um, here's what I need you to do. I need you to hop on over there to iTunes. Um, I'm actually going to Apple Podcasts. I need you to go um, leave a five-star rating for our podcast. Look, if you're going to do anything less than that, like a four or three, just don't, you know. Um, just, like, go ahead and send me a email or something just to let me know what you feel about the podcast um, but <laughs> but if you're gonna leave a five-star rating go ahead and do that today man we're so happy um to have awesome guests like ross jackson on the show i um, mean we do our best to do this every week so thank you so much for joining us and we hope you have a blessed day we out i don't do the most but i do a lot i'm gonna make a toast because we still alive no big i feel like pop i shoot a shot I'm coming in hot. Coming in hot. This is Andrew Brown with the North Florida Tigers prep program, and you are listening to me on MTMV. Support the podcast whenever you can, listen as much as you can, and share as much as you can. <laughs>